Hello, we're dealing with some long words in the subtitles of our studies here on Search for Truth. At Search for Truth is your Bible study programme with Brian Johnston. And we're fortunate to have our Bible teacher Brian with us again to explain all of these long words. Our Bible book of the Romans also has some long sentences, which was the style of the author, the Apostle Paul, for he often used them, particularly in his letters. Paul in Romans very robustly defends the Gospel message. Brian's called these studies Putting the Gospel First. So here's Brian now with today's study entitled Justification. Thanks, John. In our last study, we looked at condemnation. This time, I'd like us to examine the reversal of condemnation, and that's justification. If condemnation is about us being declared guilty before a holy God, whom we've offended by our rebellious attitude and behaviour against him, then justification is about us being declared righteous before God. It's about having a right standing before him. Previously, in our current look at the Apostle Paul's letter to the Romans, we've looked at its first two sections. Those were the introduction, and that was roughly the first half of the first chapter, followed by the second section that runs from about halfway through chapter 1 through to halfway through chapter 3. That's the section we described as dealing with the topic of condemnation. So now we come to the third topic, and the third section, and this is justification, and this will take us on to the end of chapter 5. I just love how systematic the Apostle Paul is, as the Spirit leads him in such an orderly way through these great themes of the Gospel. Not only do they follow on the one from the other, but as we come to look at justification, we'll see how Paul tackles it by first setting out its instruction, verses 21 to 26, and then its implications, verses 27 to 31 of chapter 3, and finally its illustrations through chapters 4 and 5, dealing with Abraham and Adam. But even within each of these three subheadings, we find further structured teachings. Let's take the first, the instruction he gives us about this great gospel word of justification. Let's read about it first of all. It's always good to begin with God's word. This is Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through to 26. This is surely the most concise description of what God did for us through his son, Jesus Christ, and did it all supremely at the cross. The words that follow are simply packed with vital instruction. Here they are. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. But it is the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness, because in God's merciful restraint he let the sins previously committed go unpunished. For the demonstration, that is, of his righteousness at the present time, so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. In the briefest of summaries, we could say, here is a salvation that is apart from the law, witnessed by the Old Testament, provided by God, received by faith, needed by all, given by grace, purchased by Jesus, and both declared and designed by God. 
What a salvation is ours. We began to read there at chapter 3, verse 21. The amazing thing is, at verse 21, it's as if the key turns in the lock and the door to the prison cell swings open. This is a prison holding condemned sinners. But when the door finally opens, instead of the executioner standing there, light floods into the prisoner's cell with the bright news of a pardon and release papers for him to sign. All that preceded this gave no reason to expect it. The bad news suddenly turns to good news, that is, the gospel at this point. How is this possible? The answer lies in what we've just read. When Paul speaks of a righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ, he means a right standing before God, one that God himself gives to sinners. And no distinction exists between sinners, whether Jew or Gentile, all are exposed to God's wrath on account of sin. But more wonderfully, there's also no human distinction as to who may be justified either, because the right standing before God that's suddenly announced here is a gift that's all of God's grace. When a God like this saves us by placing us in a right standing before him, he does it in accordance with what's right. Both the righteousness God gives to us and the righteousness that's his own are relevant. God's own righteousness was demonstrated at the cross. Since in his forbearance he'd not always in the past punished sinners immediately, there was a possibility that God might be thought not to be just, but no longer. To justify someone is to declare him or her as not guilty. In fact, more positively, it's to declare us to be righteous in God's sight. Christ paid the penalty due to all those who are declared to be righteous. Let's now turn with Paul from the language of the law courts to the language of the temple shrines and look into the word propitiation or atoning sacrifice. As well as being found here, it's used in the Bible to describe the mercy seat which acted as a covering lid for the Old Testament Ark of the Covenant. The mercy seat is especially associated with the Day of Atonement. There, in God's presence, stained annually with the blood of sacrifice, and under the gaze of the cherubim which were part of its design, the mercy seat stood as witness to the fact that justice was satisfied. God had not ignored sin, but the price of justice had been met in blood. The word propitiation then pictures for us the removal of wrath, as when pagans would appease their upset gods by offering them sweetmeats. But compared with its pagan background, its Bible use is radically different in terms of who initiates it, who provides the offering, and in understanding God's anger against sin to be very far from the fickle upset of pagan gods. Coming to the New Testament, we find no room at all for pagan thinking. God's wrath is the unalterable, holy antagonism of the unchangeable God towards sin. It's not men who interpose with gifts to appease God, but it's God himself who intervenes to send his own son for the sacrificial work of the cross. It's this that defines love. As John the Apostle says, this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. 1 John 4 and 10. Divine wrath was completely satisfied by the covering work of Christ 
for all those who are united with Christ by faith. If justification, that is to declare someone as righteous, is the language of the law court and propitiation is the language of the temple shrine, then redemption, meaning to buy back or set free, is the language of the slave market in which humans are pictured as slaves to sin. Well, so much for the instruction about justification, which Paul has given us as he explains exactly how God is able to declare as righteous those who were previously condemned as sinners. Paul now turns to the implications of this justification in verses 27 to 31, where we read, Where then is boasting? It has been excluded. By what kind of law? Of works? No, but by a law of faith. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since indeed God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith is one. Do we then nullify the law through faith? Far from it. On the contrary, we establish the law. I like to remember those three implications there as being respectively no boasting, no barriers and no banishing, meaning to say that the moral law has not been banished. God's way of justifying sinners totally excludes us from boasting about ourselves, but instead we are left boasting only about God. This is the same word used three times in Romans chapter 5, where it's translated as celebrate. Therefore, Paul says, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God and we celebrate in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also celebrate in our tribulations. And not only this, but we also celebrate in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. It's very clear, isn't it, that we have no boasting in ourselves, but only cause to celebrate or boast in God. Now, let's come to what we said was no barriers in God's way of justifying sinners. This was emphasised by repeating that God is not only the God of Jews, Circumcision is mentioned as characterising the Jew, but as Paul adds in chapter 4, verse 9, faith was credited to Abraham as righteousness, not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised, so that he might be the father of all who believe without being circumcised. So no boasting and no barriers in God's way of justifying sinners. But finally, it's also done in a way that doesn't banish God's moral law. This is what Romans 8 verse 3 says, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin, condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit. And this introduces us to the illustrations of justification featuring Abraham and Adam, which we'll leave till next time.
I hope you enjoyed today's study talk and I'd like to remind you there's a transcript book of all the talks in this series which would be helpful if you want to do further study. So please let me remind you how you can freely receive a copy. Firstly, it's available online. You can obtain one by downloading it from churchesofgod.info forward slash media. Alternatively, you can write to us and request a hard copy book be posted to you. Just ask for the title, Putting the Gospel First, and don't forget to include your postal address so we know where to send it. You can use email or the post, and here's our address. Search for Truth, Hayes Press, The Barn, Flaxlands, Royal Wotton Bassett, Swindon, SN48DY UK. Our email address is sft at churchesofgod.info. It's been great to enjoy your company today, so many thanks for giving us your time. Next week, God willing, we have study number four in this eight part series, so do join me if you can, same time next week. But for now, it's goodbye. Very best wishes from our Bible teacher Brian our producer David, our singers and me, John. So see you again soon and in the meantime, we wish you God's richest blessings.